Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. Hey kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. Did you leave the refrigerator open? Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Check, check, one, two. Yep. Oh, here he goes. (laughs) (sighs) Once again, may I reiterate, we don't do drinking or eating sounds on this podcast. (laughs) Hey, kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. podcast remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen and please if you like what we are doing on the podcast tell your friends and if you don't then tell your enemies because as i like to say any publicity is good publicity today we welcome back podcast co-host extraordinaire ryan sigich he's back baby round of applause i am ready to rock and also roll excellent uh so we are in season four now. I don't think you have been at all present in season four yet. Which is honestly just a, a big downfall. I think that's uh, <laughs> admin really missed. Uh, you guys you guys really missed the mark there. Okay, I'll have my people get on it. Um, well, I was just thinking the other day, like, can you even believe this is season four of Follow the Leader? It, oh, I can. Oh, you can't. Oh, oh okay. yeah. No, we've been in it, man. <laughs> We've, we've been going hard. <laughs> they say time flies when you're having fun and does the opposite when you're not. So is that, are you saying that we're not? Oh, we've ha- been having so much fun. Oh, we've been having, oh, okay, okay, great, great, great. <laughs> um, do you know what Follow the Leader is doing in season four? I. What's the word on the street? Do not. Uh, let's see. Um, I thought that you guys were kind of having a, what's it called? Not a midlife crisis. You were, you were branching off of Schubert. You were kind of, wait, are the gardeners here? I saw I saw you looking behind you and you were like <gasps> No 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 I was responding. I was just like looking oh. off into the distance, pondering what you said. Oh and gotcha. Yep. Conjuring a reaction. The the lack of eye contact with me just really threw <laughs> sorry, me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You I'll, want me to look deeply okay. into your yes. eyes as you Please. tell me about Please. what you think season four is about. Uh, I need the visual cues. Okay. I thought that you guys were kind of branching off and exploring um some other 
composers and other like types of art songs? Oh, okay. So that was actually season three. So season oh, okay. three. Yeah. Okay. So you're like lightly aware. You're lightly aware okay. of what's going on. Season three, I was trying to do just less well-known repertoire. So like not, not the standards. Don't get me wrong. There were definitely some standard bangers in there, Schubert included, um, mm. last year. But in season four, actually, I'm really excited because we're doing a whole compare and contrast situation. So oh. we're doing one setting each episode is one text and different two different settings of that text do you follow you know got what it means? got it so uh, two different is it two different composers that yes. like completely put it in a different right so a poet They're has written so a poem and then different composers have taken and done their own settings of very cool that poem okay? okay so that's what we're doing in each episode of season four and actually this is only this is only february so we've only done it this is only our second time are you ready wait this is the second episode of season four yeah this is only the season <gasps> uh uh this is only <laughs> i can't believe you made it in this far <laughs> oh man we're only five minutes in and i am sure we're doing great. no you're doing good um yeah this is only the second episode of season four so but listener uh can you can you hear the difference in the tonal quality of our microphones? Have you noticed an improvement in the quality of Mandy's voice? La 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 la. Or is it or is it still just la 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 la? <laughs> How's that for some quality? Yeah, so I'm work. looking at Mandy and she has this like <laughs> incredible setup with the, with this huge dead cat furry. It literally looks like a raccoon sitting on top of your microphone. And then I just get the same old same old treatment. Okay, but I'm here's, feeling a little left out. Here's the thing. The reason why I need this fancy microphone is because my voice is so annoying. To you? No, just so annoying dead stop <laughs> that I need this fancy microphone to help it sound less nasally, less abrasive, less in your face, less like there's so many times when I'm editing and I just I kind of melt through my chair into the ground because of how annoying I think my voice sounds. But truly, it does have a very nasally ping to it. It really is a shame. Are you that sure someone didn't leave you like a one star review and said, <laughs> I hate <laughs> Her voice so much. No, honestly, it doesn't come from any kind of Good, trauma great. like that. I just, I, the reason I'm so aware of it is because when I'm mixing the, uh, the episodes, the sound for the episodes, I am always so aware that my voice is just nasally right. pingy and it's so much louder and I have to do a lot more work to like limit it and, and level my, it my out. voice is very like soft and and you yeah. and literally everyone oh, else. Good to know I'm normal. You are. You're okay, quite normal. Excellent. I am the abnormality here, um, but I like to think that that's what makes me I think I just adorable. need to talk a little bit more in my nose. <laughs> okay, so, oh my God, how do, we, how do we wind back to the reason we're here today? Season four, episode two, comparison and, and contrast. Yes, contrast and comparison. Thank so you, today, Brian, for the lovely segue. Thank you. It's like you're an expert or something. We're like, you've been here before, I think. Uh, we have a text that I'm super excited about, but before we get to the text and the two separate settings of that text... I would like to tell you about a charming little genre of music. Dubstep. <laughs> right? While that would be dope. No, sadly, we're not here to speak about dubstep. I want to tell you about murder ballads. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like your favorite thing in the world. Do you have any idea what a murder ballad might be? I mean, is it, is it sort of like a Romeo, Juliet, sort of like there's, there's a stabbing involved? There's like a plot? To, to there is a plot. There often is stabbing involved. Um, so prison shank. 
Murder ballads seem to mostly have originated starting in the 16th and 17th centuries in England, Scandinavia, and Scotland, which means that they're probably ultimately like way yonder back of Germanic origin. And yes, you're right, they tell a horrible story of some sort in which someone is killed in one manner or another. It seems that these murder ballads may have possibly been influenced by a similar genre called broadside ballads, and this, straight from Wikipedia, a broadside ballad is a descriptive or narrative verse or song, commonly in a simple ballad form on a popular theme, and sung or recited in public places or printed on broadsides for sale in the streets. So, shortly after the printing press was um, was invented, um, these stories would be printed and then disseminated, sometimes like hung up on walls or what have you, and often the stories would be in poetic form because then it was easier for people to remember them if they were in some sort of rhyming type situation. You're telling me there's people just standing in the street reading these things right yeah yeah and then they would memorize them and then these stories would be passed around and as you can imagine through just the oral tradition of them things would get changed and wouldn't be passed along exactly the same way each time Uh, often uh you would find these stories being like passed out like around the courthouse too because it was like after some sort of big like court case went on right and so people would want to know the story want to know what happened they would go and either read or listen to one of these ballads being told and then they would go and tell that to their friends so they were like the kind of like the the original tabloids as it were ah and they would often be considered a moralizing type of thing so watch out don't do that or else you'll end up like old crooked joe got hung around the corner beware listener (laughs) don't let this be you um, so with murder ballads specifically, they are told from all different points of view. So sometimes the murderer is speaking. Sometimes it's the POV of a witness who was nearby. In one particularly unsettling ballad um, titled Lord Randall, the story is told from the victim's POV when he realizes he's been poisoned. Clutch <gasps> 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 <Got> your pearls. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah, you know, like like pearl clutching. It's like, you're, oh, you're like. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that phrase. I think I need to get out more. I think so. Okay. Um, there are many variations of the same-ish murder ballad. So one such example is the Twa Sisters, which exists in at least 21 variations. And here they are from 1 to 21. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but I will highlight some of like the similarities and differences. So. Uh, the Trois sisters, they are two sisters, and they're near some sort of body of water. Sometimes it's an ocean, sometimes it's a river. The older sister sister usually pushes the younger one in, and often it's because she's, like, jealous of her for some reason or another. The root cause exactly. of a man. Uh, yes, exactly. So, what the heck, man, every time? I know. They're, like, not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. I love I love the wonderful men in my life. Um, but often, yes, her motive was some kind of jealousy, whether it be because she wants the suitor that is courting her younger sister, sure. or perhaps the suitor has two timed the sisters. Um, often he just simply does not two-timed? return. Yeah, like you know, like a like a double cross. Like a what? <laughs> <laughs> like like he 
Like he dates like, one and then dates the other like and that then dates the other one. Like that two-timing scoundrel. Okay, do you really need me to look no, to I, Google? These okay. are all such great terms. Okay, okay. I know they are. <laughs> and most people are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It's only you. Okay, two-time I'm thinking double, double tap from like my video game days. Okay, to deceive or be unfaithful to a lover or a spouse. Ah. Okay. Does that clarify things uh, for you? I'm just learning so many things. Okay, great. That's why we're here, honestly. So I'm really glad that this <laughs> works learn. out for all of us. Um, so in a few versions, a third sister is mentioned, but she's not really significant. So when the murdered sister's body is found, oh God, this is so creepy. It's usually made into some kind of instrument, like a harp or a fiddle. So her bones are the frame of the instrument and her hair, um, the strings are made from her hair. Um, and then often what happens in this ballad is that the instrument begins singing. It like plays and sings itself and it sings about the murder. So it like uncovers the sister's like crime. It's horrible, right? This is scandalous. Yeah, it's like really terrible. Uh, okay, so that's one murder ballad. And he, but you could see how easily there could be so many different variations on that. And if you pass that orally, like by word of mouth from one person to another, of course, it would take on different... Wait, so you're saying there's 21 variations, but in reality, there's like a there's infinity variations because like each yeah. each wife or person or whoever's telling the story, whatever the narrator is in some household, tells it one way, and then that person tells it another way. Like yeah, essentially yes. So there are 21 like recorded official variations that have been recorded, and there have been people throughout the years who actually collect these ballads, whether they be murder ballads or broadside ballads or just ballads in general. There are people who go around collecting these folk poems, folk songs uh, for posterity's sake so that we have collections of them. I, I do want to tell you about another murder ballad. Yes, please. Uh, the murder ballad, The Knoxville Girl, tells a story that is essentially the same as The Wexford Girl, which is in turn based on a ballad called The Oxford Girl. <laughs> so it was quite customary to just grab a story, tweak a few details and slap a different name on X it. X girl. There's an X in each one of those. Ah, yeah. Good spot. Astute. Observation. Observation. <laughs> observation by my young Padawan. So I'm going to read you uh, The Knoxville Girl. Are you ready? Bring it on. Dramatic reading by Mandy Madrid Sikich. I met a little girl in Knoxville, a town we all know well. And every Sunday evening out in her home, I'd dwell. We went to take an evening walk about a mile from town. I picked a stick up off the ground and knocked that fair girl down. She fell down on her bended knees. For mercy, she did cry. Oh, Willie, dear, don't kill me here. I'm unprepared to die. She never spoke another word. I only beat her more until the ground around me within her blood did flow. Doesn't rhyme, but okay. I took her by her golden curls and I drug her round and around, throwing her into the river that flows through Knoxville town. Go down, go down, you Knoxville girl with the dark and rolling eyes. Go down, go down, you Knoxville girl. You can never be my bride. I started back to Knoxville, got there about midnight. My mother, she was worried and woke up in a fright, saying, Dear son, what have you done to bloody your clothes so? I told my anxious mother I was bleeding at my nose. I called for me a candle to light myself to bed. I called for me a handkerchief to bind my aching head. Rolled and tumbled the whole night through as troubles was for me, like flames of hell around my bed and in my eyes could see. 
They carried me down to Knoxville and put me in a cell. My friends all tried to get me out, but none could go my bail. I'm here to waste my life away down in this dirty old jail because I murdered that Knoxville girl, the girl I loved so well. Okay, this is pretty fucked up. <laughs> like, 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 who, like who is entertaining this kind of uh, content? Honestly, I just think that in human nature, we have a... Why do we like horror? We There's have like a, an obsession. Yeah, like, we like have, why is it in pe- people's intrinsic nature to like want to share this thing? To hear a horrible story. Yeah. I have heard before that we like to hear these horrible stories. Um, so like a, a lot of the reason that many women can be addicted to true crime is it's a way of dealing with our anxiety to prevent something from happening to us uh, so we could it could help us spot the signs i was gonna say this is basically like like reading this is like just true crime on crack so <laughs> it's, nuts. it's old-timey true crime essentially <laughs> it doesn't make it any more like um what's the word like uh naive or harmless like it doesn't make it any more harmless mm-hmm. it's that it's all timey yeah. yeah yeah no uh, and actually we're gonna get into that a little bit later because there it, it does have that bench to it where it feels something feels a little bit wrong in partaking of you know this horrible situation that happened to someone for our own entertainment so we'll we'll get to that in in a second um actually almost right away <laughs> according to my notes <laughs> which i am not looking at <laughs> Um, In the United States, the murder ballad tradition seems to have really taken off in the Appalachia region, which was largely settled. Can you guess by who? Uh, No, but in the notes here, it says the (laughs) Anglo-Scottish peoples. God damn it. (laughs) I really got to work on like censoring the notes a little bit more so that I can... No, no, no. It's great because it just just allows the listener to think that I'm truly, you know, I got a leg up on them. Okay. So it seems that um, the Western settlers were very taken with this genre, and the murder ballad absolutely boomed. Uh, But there is one angle that has been noted by many people in posterity, and that's the fact that violence towards women is often extremely prevalent in this story, in these stories and songs. So more so than violence against men. There is, there are so many murder ballads out there that involve men and, and violence from one man towards another. Um, but it seems that like the, the, it's overly weighted towards violence towards females. Sure. So uh, here's a quote from an awesome article I read titled The History of Murder Ballads and the Women Who Flipped the Script, which I will link to in the show notes because it's a really cool article and I just can't get everything in here. Quote, the women in these songs were perceived as innocent, helpless victims who were led astray by their lovers, who more often than not were also the murderers, and the women were powerless against their fate. The messages of these songs were heard as warnings to other young women of the time to not go down the same path, while the men were often portrayed in a bizarrely sympathetic way, seemingly not responsible for their own actions, but rather co-victims in these quote-unquote crimes of passion. Yeah, like the end of the other one was like, oh, woe is me, I'm here to waste my life away, and like, I murdered the girl, and and I loved her so, it was like, wait, what? Can I finish reading the quote now? Oh, you sure can. Sorry. (laughs) Murder ballads based on true stories turned real life victims into narrative stereotypes, warning other women what would happen if they, quote, misbehaved. In other words, women engaged in their rightful autonomy while men disturbingly pushed back. 
This in turn fed the public curiosity of violence as entertainment and perhaps was one of the earliest forms of true crime media that is so rampant today. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. The fact that violence towards women has often been consumed as entertainment, right? Is this, I mean, this is all kind of blowing my mind because I've never heard of this genre Mm. or of this like genre existing in this time period. Mm. I mean, you, you're aware of like, okay, the Westerns and this and covered wagons. I don't even know. This is like completely just not on my radar. Yeah. Well, if you think about it though. So, because I was trying to think in my survey of the cultural landscape, what things might exist in my consciousness that I simply have absorbed and not really thought about that might be within this genre. And actually, I was thinking about, you know, the song, um, uh, Oh, my darling, oh, my darling. Yeah, uh Yeah, one of those verses it goes, and I remember learning this verse when I was a kid. uh, And I was obsessed with it. And I thought it was so, like, grotesque and fascinating and this was me growing up in a very like sheltered christian uh home right and there but there was still something in me that had a bent towards being very curious about um the darkness in the verse the the verse goes it um it says ruby lips above the water blowing bubbles soft and fine woe is me i was no swimmer so i lost my clementine so she dies in it i don't necessarily know if it's a murder ballad because i don't think he necessarily like he he couldn't swim so he couldn't save her the whole point the climax of this song this folk song that we all kind of have in our consciousness it's that she dies she drowns and we're all fascinated with it and i mean how do you know that song i don't know how i know that song it's just always been around i feel like it's always been something that's been part of my consciousness so i think actually if you stop to think about it you might be you'd be surprised i'd I'd find little nuances throughout yeah yeah, here and there my tapestry of my brain yeah <laughs> that is the title of this podcast episode. What, the, the tapestry, tapestry of, my of my brain. No, you know it should be the title of the podcast. How do you say murder ballad in German? Well, actually, the title of the podcast is going to be the murder ballad that we're talking about in German oh, today. Okay, so. cool. <laughs> um, do, 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 do. Where, where was I? Oh, yeah. So there is an interesting thread to follow here as women in more modern times have taken control of the narrative. So, for instance, the musician Patsy Montana recorded the song, I Didn't Know the Gun Was Loaded which tells of a woman who shoots a man who tried to rape her. So instead of her, you know, succumbing and being a victim and, and you know, it being written that she's partially to blame for her own victimization, uh, she instead takes charge and does not allow this violence to happen to her. So listen to this. Now one night she had a date with a wrestling heavyweight and he tried a brand new hold she did not appreciate. So she whipped out her pistol and she shot him in the knee and quickly... She sang this plea. I didn't know the gun was loaded, and I'm so sorry, my friend. I didn't know the gun was loaded, and I'll never, never do it again. And at the time, I think this was recorded in like the 1960s, so not that long ago. It was revolutionary because it portrayed a woman not as a victim, but as one who takes charge of her fate. But then it's... it's weird that then she's like profusely apologizes or maybe she's mm. just trying to convince him that like 
she legit didn't think it was going to, you know. Yeah, I think then, though, right, there, there are repercussions. So when a woman reacts out, you know, in violence yeah. because of the violence that is being attempted upon her, there's backlash. And this actually did cause actual backlash because as more ballads like this circulated, radio stations refused to play them. Or would only play the songs with um, disclaimers, you know, if you are subject to domestic abuse, which is great. We need to have these disclaimers like, okay, if domestic abuse is going on legitimately, violence is not the option. There are other things out here. But it's just interesting that we could have years and years of man to woman violence um, and there not be the same disclaimers that we feel like we have to send out at the same time. Uh, another example is at the end of the 20th century, the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, wrote the song Goodbye Earl, in which two women murder one of their abusive husbands. This also was banned by some radio stations. And I just find that interesting that as soon as the woman is taking charge, like, oh, we can't hear that. Like, totally, we can't hear about totally. this. I think because there's something in us that recognizes, like, well, yeah, like I'm Dude, glad that's crazy. she didn't. Yeah, we succumb. can hear that. I dragged her around and around <laughs> by her golden curls. Like what? Like yeah. that's okay, but as soon as she shoots someone in a kneecap, then it's mm-hmm. like right. Oh no, we can't be having that. Yeah. we can't have be oh, having oh, women take. Oh, oh no, <laughs> more pearl clutching. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, the mur- oh, actually, I was gonna say this. I wasn't. I was gonna say this, and I wasn't gonna say this, and now I am gonna say it because uh, I didn't know quite how this fit in. Uh, I just wanted to point out how you know these gruesome ballads have been a part of you know our collective consciousness for hundreds of years, and through American culture we can trace their thread you know from its infancy all the way up to modern times all the way into things that you might not even think about so for instance in the 1930s an all-women folk group called the coon creek girls which i love that name recorded recorded the murder ballad pretty polly a song that has been used in modern tv shows such as house of cards Ooh. and deadwood so it's there right these things the are coon creek girls yeah <laughs> We got to look them up. Also, Maybelle Carter recorded a variation of the murder ballad John Hardy was a desperate little man, and she used a distinctive style of playing that has lasting uh, has had a lasting influence on guitarists to this day. So I, I kind of think it's cool to like see these threads and just be aware. You know how it's like you've never heard a word before, and then all of a sudden you hear the word one day, and then you keep hearing the word for like the next two weeks it's everywhere i feel like this could be another instance of that like once your antenna are up and probing for (laughs) murder ballads you see my antenna yeah those are great (laughs) you're gonna see murder ballads everywhere now (laughs) (laughs) okay so speaking of murder ballads the murder ballad we are going to cover today is titled edward which is interesting, not only because it's my father's name, but because no one really knows where the name Edward came from as the title of this piece, but I'll elaborate on that later. First, I'd like to read you the text, but what you need to know is this ballad was originally a Scottish ballad. So the Scottish version was translated into German, and then what I'm going to read you is the translation into the English from the German based on the Scottish. Got it, got it, got it. (laughs) it? Okay, Uh, I need to grab my computer. Okay. Okay, here is my reading, my dramatic reading of this poem. Oh, the German text is by Johann Gottfried Herder. In case anyone cares about that sort of thing. (laughs) You're not actually going to hear it right now, but you will be hearing it in in, in the songs today. Your sword, why is it with... Your sword... Your sword, 
why is it so red with i swear to god <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> just right give here? me a second just give me a second okay, okay okay here we go here we go here it is for real your sword why is it so red with blood edward edward and why do you go so sadly there oh i have struck my hawk dead mother mother i have struck my hawk dead and that has touched my heart. Oh. Your hawk's blood is not so red, Edward. Edward, your hawk's blood is not so red. My son, tell it to me freely. Oh. You can respond to this dramatic reading. Oh. Like, there's a lot of O's in here. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I had to like, infuse each one with a slight different you know, shade of horror. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay good, okay, good. Okay. I have struck my chestnut horse dead, mother. Mother, I have struck my chestnut horse dead, and it was so proud and true. Oh. <laughs> if only people could see your eyes. When you're, oh. Allow me to continue. Your horse was old, and you had no need of it, Edward. Edward, your horse was old, and you had no need of it. Another sorrow afflicts you. Oh. I have struck my father dead, mother. Mother, I have struck my father dead, and that, that torments my heart. Oh, and what will you now do to yourself, Edward? Edward, and what will you now do to yourself? My son, tell it to me. Oh, upon the earth shall my foot not rest, mother. Mother, upon the earth shall my foot not rest. I will travel over the sea. Oh, and what shall become of your lands and hall, Edward? Edward, and what shall become of your lands and hall? So magnificent, so beautiful, oh. Ah, forever will they stand and sink and fall, mother. Mother, ah, forever will they stand and sink and fall. I will never more see them. And what shall become of your wife and child, Edward? Edward, and what shall become of your wife and child when you go over the sea? Oh. The world is large. Let them beg in it, mother. Mother, the world is large. Let them beg in it. I shall see them nevermore. Oh. And what shall your mother do, Edward? Edward, and what shall your mother do? My son, tell me that, oh. The curse of hell shall rest upon you, mother. Mother, the curse of hell shall rest upon you, for you, you advised me to do it. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, when she asked, I was like, it's all coming full circle. Oh, like, right. When she asked what, like, what, her, what the mother what, What's do. happening to yeah. her? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's wild. Right? Such a good such a good story. I love I love it because it like hangs on for so long and you understand there's something horrible going on here and the fact that you know like the punchline at the end that you you're going to burn in hell cuz you told me to do it. My question is so did he just kill his dad or did he also kill his hawk and his horse? Oh. <laughs> we don't like those stories. We don't like those. <laughs> no, I don't think he killed I think Okay, so this I think is those were of, just like excuses. This is my take on this poem. So I think that she 
had been feeding information to him all along, like, oh, you know, your father this and your father than that. There was just kind of like a hatred that she had built up. I don't really think she loved the father um, necessarily. And I think she probably had this seed of a, of a terrible idea. And while she would never commit the deed herself, she talks her son into doing it. But then once she gets hints that he's actually done it, I think the horror, she's almost scared to know the truth. And that's why she asks so uh. many questions. And that's why she keeps probing because she's she's scared a little bit and doesn't just want to go in direct and, and ask the question. But um, it sounds like, so then he's the one that bears the, the brunt or the reality of the consequences. Like he's having to go overseas. He's having to like abandon his life essentially. Yeah. Because of this thing that he's done. Yeah. Yeah. She's made him do. Yeah. It is weird because he is a bit detached, right? When he says the world is large, let my, my, my wife and my child beg in it. I think there's some, um, on his part, potentially, he knew there was no other fate for him. He was like accepting of this horrific fate. And in that, he's a little bit, yeah, just detached and disassociated and doesn't really care. And the normal kind of affection and empathy you would feel for people that you love now having to suffer these consequences, he just seems completely indifferent towards. And I think... I, perhaps his mother had some sort of strange power over him that he just wanted to be free of and he felt like killing his father was the only way because now she's gonna rot in the flames of hell and he has consequences too and so do other people that he loved but that's just kind of the way it is wild right what? such a good story okay so here's what's interesting about this poem um this particular version of it first made its print appearance in Bishop Thomas Percy's 1765 edition of Relics. Oh, wait. Rel well, it is spelled that way. Relics of Ancient English Poetry. He said that he, so Bishop Thomas Percy said that he was given this Scottish ballad by someone who had heard it from some lady somewhere. But experts think that this is likely a made-up story because this particular version is almost too good. It's too literary. It makes use of devices that folk poetry wouldn't normally use. Um, so I think that's fascinating. It's almost like too beautiful. It doesn't have enough kind of peasant people thing wrong <laughs> things wrong with it. <laughs> This you know, the peasant people. Peasant people wrong enough. Um, right. So also this oh, is... Oh, it's, it's like, um, it's like uh, what's it called? Um, stressed genes that are like not, that are too perfect. Oh, yeah. We were it, like, those are it's artificially phony. stressed. Yeah, it's like, that's yeah, phony. Uh -huh. Those are too nice. Yes, 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 it's yes. too yes. good. Yes, yes. Um, that was a terrible comparison. But totally. <laughs> really bad. Really bad. But we'll leave it in there. <laughs> but I hope it helped at least one of our listeners. The or, only listener or we even have. Me, or even me. Okay. Um, it's interesting that this is the only version, this particular one, um, is the only version in which the father has been killed. Usually it's a brother. Um, and it's the only version, like I said, to use the name Edward. Nowhere else is the name Edward attached to this particular murder ballad. So the songs we're going to hear today are based on this text. I just wanted to um, share, though, that the we're hearing a setting by Leuve and we're hearing a setting by Brahms. So um, they use slightly different versions of the text, as there are, as we spoke about, for reasons that we now are aware of. There are often different textual 
like slight textual differences. Um, so you'll hear some of those, but the story is the same mm. concept story everything the drama both, is the both same. uses the father both uses yes. Yeah, yeah yes 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 and it's the the mother who put the son up to it she's gonna burn in hell blah yep, blah yep, blah yep. okay so another thing since we're hearing from a little bit from carl lova today i thought i would just give you a brief little synopsis because we haven't had the chance to talk about lova at all and quite honestly we're probably not gonna have the chance to talk about lova very much for at least another year. Um, so I wanted to give you a brief, tiny synopsis. And I do feel bad because I'm going to say basically nothing on Johannes Brahms. Uh, but that's but, okay. But Brahms gets spotlight all the time, right? He gets, he's a famous, famous Johannes dude. Brahms. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. That's the power of the art. <laughs> okay, once you more. Should link, I you will. should link the commercial, the I YouTube will link. link the Raisin Brahms commercial in the show notes, which <laughs> I have already done before in a previous podcast, but it's just too it's so good, good to ignore. <laughs> Guten Tag! Johannes Brahms! Anytime Brahms comes up, you better believe I'm going to be referring to the Raisin Brahms commercial. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. So, Karl Lova, uh, his years are 1796 through 1869. He was often called the Schubert of the North. As one should be. That's that's a great that's a great title. <laughs> he was a prodigious composer of songs and ballads. Can oh god damn it, I put the number there. I was just Can gonna... you guess how many he composed? Hmm. Uh maybe what around four hundred? <laughs> yeah, he do he composed slightly over four hundred songs. That's right there in the script. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. I really gotta prepare a little more carefully. Um Right, so that makes it especially crazy that we don't hear from Lova that much. I mean, consider four over 400 songs. Schubert himself, the god of song, composed slightly over 600 songs. Lova's not that far behind, and we don't really hear from him quite as, quite as hmm. much. Um, the main criticism of his songs, particularly his ballads, uh, are that they don't show any form of real organic development, especially when compared to other composers like Schubert, Schumann. Or Brahms. So, you know, uh, organic, uh, an example of like organic development in music would be like the little kernel, little musical kernel, and then it kind of weaves its way through the song and it takes different shapes and it's here and it's there. Other composers do that really well. Lova doesn't really do that. It's just kind of one rhapsodic section after rhapsodic section, which... I actually find quite fun. It's like a fanciful flight of imagination. <laughs> but do some people find it like redundant? Like, But it's some just... people find it empty ah. because it's not um, something that feels like it was really worked with and ruminated over and developed and modified. So he has 400 songs, but maybe they're not all like... They're not all bangers. <laughs> they're not all bangers. But a lot of them are. Like, I've played a lot of Lova because I just, by happenstance, um, when I was at UCSB, a singer brought to me a set of Lova ballads, and I loved every single one of them. He actually has uh, another version of uh, Erlkönig, which not mm. so many people know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his version's really cool. I, I like Schubert's better, but his version's really, really cool. Mein Vater. Yes, mein Vater. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I came came across Lova and then I just looked for more Lova throughout the years because I I tend to be drawn towards the kind of dark dramatic ballad um, genre. So did you know that he was like the whole power ballad um, sorry murder, murder. ballad uh, like did you know that there was going to be that connection or did that surprise you when he was featured in this? 
Well, I wrote him into this. <laughs> no, I I, <laughs> I wrote under- this podcast. I understand, <laughs> but like when you when the the whole murder belt, how long has that been on your radar? Like, have oh, you known about that forever? You- okay, so I have actually played Edvard mm, for. I think I probably the first time I played Edvard was maybe 2013, 2014. Got so it. I've known about this ballad for got a very it, long it. time, and then about five years ago, I became aware of the Brahms version of it. Uh, so I've always wanted to cover Lova in a podcast. And this year, when I was going through the whole, oh, which songs should I compare and contrast? This seemed like a pretty obvious cool. selection. Okay. 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 Um, a tiny bit more about Lova. He received music lessons as a boy and was known for, really, for having a real talent as a soprano. Hmm. And as an adult, he actually performed as a vocalist, like as a, a singer. He'd get up on stage and you know, do yeah, a lot yeah. of solo singing, which I feel like is not the norm with these composers. A lot of the time, they're more like pianist composers. You don't really they hear too much. They just expect someone else to do it? <laughs> well, you don't really hear too much about the composer actually being a, a vocalist of the performing caliber. Obviously, Got Schubert it. would sit down and play his songs a lot. He would play them for gatherings of friends, but he wasn't going to do vocal concerts, right? Which Lova did, which I think is really cool. Um, but it's also probably why he wrote so many songs, because he had the ability to sing them himself. Um, it, and, you know, like I said, obviously it's the same with Schubert. He was a boy soprano and he would sing, but just not not the, in the way that, that Lova would go around and concertize. So in 1820, Lova moved to Stettin, which was then a part of Prussia, which is now, I'm not going to say this right, Stettin in Poland. Uh, he served as the organist and music director there at a school for 46 years, um, which is probably why he never achieved the same level of fame um, as other composers of a similar caliber. Um, you know, Stettin was not the place to like be getting your name out for the public. It was a very small town. And what I think is kind of nice about him is that he had the opportunity to move a few times and was offered posts in other places. But he genuinely liked his little life. He had a great job. He was happy with his family life. He loved the little town. And he just, he didn't, it was enough for him. Which I just... That's beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like the, to, um, to actually be fulfilled. Yes. Uh, and not just be seeking some shallow right. empty. Not, not be ambitious for ambition's right. sake. You know, the fact that he saw what he had and he was stoked on it. And But it's probably the reason because he was off in this little town. Not many people knew about him. He was friends with um, composers like Mendelssohn and Schumann. And Wagner and Liszt really liked his music as well. Because he lived a lot longer. Even though he was an exact contemporary of Schubert, he lived a probably lot longer. because he was fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> oh poor little schumer oh, he was such a sad schubert, little dude little buddy um okay so are you ready to hear yeah uh Lova's etvart um so there's another little thing that's different this year um i'm really excited because um csi our net our podcast network host and sponsor and all around fairy godmother um well, maybe Sam, Sam Martin is my fairy godmother, <laughs> the artistic director. Um, Sam has arranged for the recordings this year to be done by um, people over at CCM. And so I'm really excited for this first um, recording that you're going to hear. You're going to be hearing baritone Eric Nordstrom and pianist 
Parker Conkle perform Lovers Etvard for us. And they just do it I hope they perform it better than you can say it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure they will. I'm very excited. (laughs) No, they do a great job. Honestly, I could not have done a better job myself on either of the recordings that you're um, going to hear today. So without further ado, let's hear Eric and Parker. Take it away. Woohoo! Die 
such a banger it is right it really is so good like who mm-hmm. who who is not listening to this guy because he's yeah. uh what was the word you used uh he's repetitive or he's uh oh uh what did what is the word that i used well he he's just is not exact. organic yeah not <laughs> organic that's a very organic song also uh cheers cheers to the boys that was a fantastic performance yeah wasn't I that, loved a, that yeah yeah they like, like you feel everything mm-hmm. uh even even like the mom getting so like timid and anxious. Like she Mm -hmm. knows what he's about to like unleash on her. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he does just go off, you know, burn in hell. It's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. The drive really does just carry away, transport you. It's, it's hard not to get caught up in in the drama of what's going on. And they did do such an excellent dramatic performance. Um, I feel like it might be a good idea to also just hear the Brahms right away, and then we can cool, do cool. our and little we'll compare yeah. contrasty yeah. situation. Um, well, so. bra- brava, <laughs> bra- bravi, bravi, <laughs> bravo, brave. <laughs> just put all the other vowels Time after for that. Some Italian lessons. <laughs> oh my gosh, I couldn't. <laughs> no, you cannot. Um, okay, so let's listen to the Brahms. Same pianist. We're going to be hearing Parker Conkle uh, play the piano part. And just wait till you hear this ferocious piano part. It's insane. But the cool thing about Brahms's setting is that he set it as a duet. So instead of one person singing both parts, we have a mother sung by Lucy Evans. And then we have the son, uh, we have Edvard, uh, sung by Logan Wagner. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so here we go. Oh, 
goodness gracious <laughs> poor little parker and his fingies <laughs> i just i just hope he had like a little ice bath that he could just instantly <laughs> turn to and just put his little hands in there uh, that was so good yeah furiously played and sung right oh, like well, so well done so good yeah it yeah i i was really really stoked to have have this little trio perform <laughs> better them than me i say <laughs> yeah no that was that was outstanding yeah um so what do you think? It was really um, a thought that had struck me mm. um, in the earlier piece, but was kind of... In the Lova? Yes. But in, in this one, having Lacey sing the, the mom's... Lucy. 
Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, having Lucy sing the mom's perspective was so interesting and unique having the back and the forth. Mm-hmm. But in in the earlier one, the vocalist literally was like there was kind of an assumption made that you you kind of had to uh, and I think it was done really well of mm-hmm. jumping back and forth between yeah, the two voices yeah. mm-hmm. but all in one all in one voice. It's just right. so interesting how it's set. But it works mm-hmm. so well both ways. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of that, you know, it's the same with like the ballad, um, the Earl King, right? right? So you have the narrator, then you have the father, then you have the son, and then you have right. the Earl King. And it's one person singing this and then like going back and forth and differentiating. And if the composer knows what they've done, hopefully they've said it in a way that really makes the delineation between the voices clear. And I think Lova does do a, a good job making delineations between the two because we hear kind of sometimes like full stops even between right. between the sections. Um, and also often the mother is set in a more panicked way. Yes. Just the way musically it's written. Like, but mm-hmm. almost even like hushed and anxious and, and just like very, yes. you know, like... Like on, on fingertips, like like biting, biting, biting our nails. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of a feel. Totally. The Lova sounds to me almost like, you know, in Charlie Brown in the cartoon when sometimes you can see fret marks coming out. Yes. Yeah, of yeah, they yeah. have like the little lines coming mm-hmm. out of the head. I feel like Lova said it in a way where sometimes you can, especially in the piano part, doing the repetitive eighth notes, you can hear the fret marks coming out of the mother's head. Yeah. And I, I love that that aspect. Um, what I find so fascinating is that, you know, Brahms really was a masterful composer of song. And, you know, this is a folk song. And so it's strophic and could have. Uh, so it's verses. Define. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw a little question. Your t- eyes Panic. turned into question what? marks. <laughs> so it's the same essential melody over and over again. Just like different verses. Right, right, so right, like, right. oh, my darling yes. Clementine is a strophic right. song. Usually murder ballads are going to be strophic although they'll be set because they're folk song style they'll be set in a ballad type narrative so you might have the same kind of melody happening over and over again but it feels through composed a bit and that's how that's how these settings are the Brahms feels a bit more mm, dare I say boring I don't want to say I don't want to use the word boring Uh. it just feels a little samey to me in a way that the lova does not which is fascinating to me because we went into it uh talking about how he has 400 songs and people Mm -hmm. said that his stuff wasn't Mm -hmm. organic or Mm -hmm. whatever but Mm -hmm. when we were in the song Mm -hmm. i was like what are you talking about like this is so good i I think what but is this just like his best song because again it does it has kind of one rhapsodic section after another which works really well for a ballad type situation there is not one current like one musical kernel that's then taken and developed you know right but in the the actual but then the performer has the ability then to take it and make it so interesting from verse to verse to verse, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it was so compelling. Yeah, I will say, I love at the end of the Brahms where it's like... Uh, ear, ear, it me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that spot so so much. It's so over the top. Like the Brahms really sets a... She is like... She's going to hell. (laughs) The flames of hell are already consuming her. Um, I also love in the Lova, though, when the flames of hell come along as well. It doesn't have the same kind of um, impact as it does when when we hear it in the Brahms, I think. 
Well, that, that's not the case. They're just different. They're just different. I can't actually say. I'll I tell like you, there's more notes in the Brahms. <laughs> there are more notes in the Brahms. <laughs> um, the Brahms is much harder from a piano's point of view. I don't know actually about the singing of the Brahms because uh, I've, full disclosure, I've never performed the Brahms myself. So um, as a matter of vocal stamina, I could imagine that the love is a bit harder um, just because you don't get any breaks and you're singing all the way through and you're doing both the voices and you're doing the whole drama yourself. Whereas in the Brahms, each singer gets a little bit of a break between. And um, yeah. Which one have you seen programmed more steadily? Um, I have I never seen either programmed in the wild. In the wild. In the wild, <laughs> in which I have not been involved, like, in the programming Got of it. them. Got it. I always, so I did a, um, I, I try to program the Lova as often as I can, um, just because I really, I really like playing it. Um, and there was one program I did uh, in London, and both Edvards were programmed. Actually, no, that's not true. The Brahms was selected over the Lova, but I did not play it for that. Mm, got it. So um, I actually can't answer that question. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering, though, if, uh, say, for instance, you were doing a song recital or a collection or had a theme or whatever, if it's more practical to program it for just the one voice instead of... Yeah. The logistical yeah, of bringing probably. in two two singers, or yeah, I mean, I just it probably all just depends on what the parameters of the concert slash yeah. recital yeah. are. If you have multiple singers, then it's kind of an easy go to. If you have a pianist that's up for the task, it's got the chops, <laughs> yeah, and and wants to dig in. Um, I think there are there are things about the Brahms that are challenging. So there's a lot of offbeat stuff, and it's a little bit more confusing. I feel like to hear precisely what's going on from the mm. piano so as a vocalist it seemed like if i was a vocalist i would have a harder time in singing the brahms purely because there's just a just, torrent just, just of notes the actual music right yeah. it's just an actual torrent of notes that are swirling around which is very very effective in conjuring this yeah. kind of horror it's almost like i hear demons flying around oh, the totally. demons that have prompted the ghouls. yes yeah. the mother and the son to commit such a horrendous act um and in the Lova, the thing that's challenging about it collaboratively is that the sections, moving between sections is really challenging because the momentum kind of stops and goes and stops and goes. So you have to have two performers that are very intuitive towards working with each other, working with a collaborator and responding. And yeah, I'm curious to know, do you, do you just after hearing those two, have a preference for one or the other? Um, and you don't have to. I'm just curious. I've heard, and this is the first time I'll be saying this, the Louvre. <laughs> the Louvre. 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 Yeah. Louvre. No. Uh, 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 okay, we're not Lover. turning this into a diction lesson. <laughs> That's why I kept not saying it. I was like, in the one before. <laughs> in the first one. In the previous selection. Yeah, I was literally just avoiding that time of having to say the word. Um, because I've heard it before and, mm -hmm. and I've heard you practice it like I was very familiar with it. Mm -hmm. And so there is that familiarity that, that I do really love mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that piece. Mm -hmm. The Brahms was um, just as I was scrolling through the music in the mm -hmm. PDF version on the computer, I was literally having to scroll so fast. Mm -hmm. I was like, how the heck is this moving so quickly? <laughs> uh, and I was just thinking, oh, poor Parker. Hope he has like a little uh, page turner for his iPad, like a little foot, uh, foot pedal. Because yeah. um, page turns would be impossible. Yeah, totally. Um, 
I think it was the the novelty of it, and it was just like it was swirling. It was so different. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think I still prefer the former. Mm, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but they're both. It was really cool to see how mm-hmm. both of them are pretty equally matched. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're yes, both. Yeah. As we say, they're both bangers. Yeah, they are you both know? bangers. I yeah, it's it's funny because um, they each have their um, their strengths, right? Sure. I love the harmonies of the Brahms, and I love how complex. I mean, that swirling piano part—you really can't get any better than it. I think it's so evocative and compelling, mm-hmm. um, just in different ways than the than the Lova. Oh gosh! Now that now that we're coming down to it, I'm like I'm kind of scared. To, like, <laughs> I, I think I don't know if this makes sense. I was more, and this has nothing to do with mm-hmm. with the performances, but just the way that it was written. Mm-hmm. I feel like I think the. The voice was more compelling mm-hmm. in the first, mm-hmm. where I was I was picking up more. You of mean the, the vocal part? The vocal part, mm-hmm. yes. Not was... the not the singing. You mean the vocal correct? Part. Well, I yes, thought I clarified it. It had okay. nothing to do with okay. the performances. Okay. It's okay. just how it's written. I just wanted to be super clear because yes. all vocal performances were oh, compelling. <laughs> gold stars for everyone. Um, I just felt like my ear and my emotion was more tied mm-hmm. to the vocal part mm-hmm. in the first piece, but mm-hmm. then I think I was more affected by just the the piano part, like the, mm-hmm. the accompaniment in the second one of mm-hmm. that was carrying mm-hmm. so much of the, um, the, the world. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it does the setting. Make sense. Yeah. And seeing that in person is absolutely Ooh. thrilling. Cause it just does not <laughs> stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's out of control. Uh, not so. Both so good though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay but you good. still haven't voted. You've been oh, avoiding God. the question. Um, oh gosh, as just an observer, I truly cannot give you an opinion over which I prefer. A or B? A or B. I can't give you an opinion over which I prefer. I think that they both have their strengths. I really love, like I said, the irritates me in the Brahms. And then in the Lova, I just, uh, I really like the sections and how it passes back and forth. And Mm. um, yeah. But the listener wants to know. So, so that's as a an observer. Okay, but listen, listen to what I <laughs> listen to me. As a musician myself, it's always hard for me to make um, an, a, a fully formed opinion on something because I realize that a lot of times when I'm trying to form an opinion, I'm forming it as a potential performer of the mm, music, sure. and that totally changes then my thoughts and feelings about the about it. So until I've actually performed. The Brahms, I don't think I can give you a performer opinion, but my observer opinion is that I like different things equally about both. I mean, those hey, weren't those weren't options <laughs> on the test on the Scantron. There's two bubbles. There's not like C and D. A or B. Oh God. Okay, if you had to put a gun to my head, I am. Well, no, I'm actually not. Okay, I'm holding my violence. I'm pointing. Are we about to make a murder, murder ballad happening here? <laughs> Um, oh God, I, sorry, I have to go with the Lova because it, it has yeah. more difference in it. Sure. But I like the piano part of the Brahms so much better. Wasn't the question. But, <laughs> oh, it's too hard. Of a Listener, question. you heard it here first or second. <laughs> what have I done to myself? Oh no, this is how the rest of the year is going to go? Yeah, oh, you're going to have no. to pick. Uh, you I may, can't. you may, your next co-host may actually just graciously let you, <laughs> let me uh, yeah, be ambiguous. Okay. Well, one can hope. But not today. <laughs> not on my watch. Well, I guess thanks for being here then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do truly, I truly appreciate your presence on the podcast, even of if course. you are forcing me 
to choose between one or the other. Uh, you asked me, and I gave you an answer, and then I asked you, and it just started waxing eloquent over like all these different non-answers. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. Well done, though. But thanks for being here today. Yeah. I also just wanted to say thank you so much one more time to our performers today, baritone Eric Nordstrom, mezzo-soprano Lucy Evans, tenor Logan Wagner, and pianist Parker Conkle. Thank you so much, team. We could not have done it without you. Brava! Wait, no. Bravi! 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 Bravissime! Bravissime! <laughs> and listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope that you will continue to join us as we do more compare and contrast throughout the year. If you haven't had enough of Lova's setting of Etvard, then you might want to try singing it with me. I've recorded the accompaniment for you to sing along with. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikich. Just click on the Leader Accompaniments playlist and scroll till you find Etvard and start singing. I'll also include the links to it in the show notes so you can find it that way. Sorry, I did not do the Brahms. <laughs> I was too scared. <laughs> Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! Wait, do I not get to say goodbye? Dear listener, <laughs> thanks for thanks for and stopping by. And that's our show for well, today. I'm, come on. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.